You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. My name is Mark or the Lip from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and with me today is my legendary and ever faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, man, how you doing tonight? Doing really, really good. Thank you so much for asking. It's been of an course excellent... I ask every week. Well, you do, but this time I'm particularly thankful. Oh, um, okay. that's nice. That's nice. It has been an incredible Memorial Day weekend. I got to go drive down to Raleigh with my amazing girlfriend, and we got to hang out with two of my best friends in the world uh, for the whole weekend, eating great food, going and doing cool stuff, seeing the uh, the city, and walking all around the uh, the downtown area. It was so much fun. Even got a good climbing session in. So, um, I mean, I am just feeling so recharged and it's it's just so exciting well that's good i i am i am not but i am glad that somebody in this <laughs> in this podcast is feeling recharged uh it was a oh, it was man. a good weekend it was just a long weekend you know memorial day weekend here in the states which uh you know, if you want to know about it, you're not from the state, you can Google it. Um, but, uh, you know, most people have today off. I did not take today off because uh, in my line of work, when you have a Monday off, it just means that you work more Tuesday through Friday. Um, mm-hmm. You don't you don't end up having anything that goes <laughs> off of your list of things to get done. You just have to do the same amount of stuff with less amount of time. Uh, but we did get to hang out with uh, some friends, which was awesome. And I got to stream on Memorial Day, which was a lot of fun. And uh, it was it was so funny because we had two we had two very disappointing parts in one very good part of the stream. So today I logged on and I was like, I needed to play a certain amount of labs because you had to play, play cards in labs to get a one of the quests done for prismatic stuff. And labs are also a really good way to sort of churn your way through all of your stuff for the event. So I was like, well, we're just going to play Lab of Legends on hard mode today. No problem. So we got into an Aphelios deck and we were like, running that for a while and it was going really well and uh and then we just got run over uh by the the guy who like summons uh like the droids or the turrets every round and eventually summons eight eight dinosaurs um and uh in that game the opponent like the computer drew three true shot barrages to clear my board at the end of the game three turns in a (laughs) row um and ended up beating us and it was super disappointing but i was like that's okay like we'll, we'll try something else so we played riven and we had a point where I had a I had an extra mana gem. So on my turn two, I would play Riven and I could make a blade hilt free. And then all of my spells cost one less, which means all of the shards that I got from blade hilts and ribbons cost one less. And I on turn two at one point played like a 40-20 Riven because she had Lich Bane on her, which every time you played a spell, you got plus one, plus one. So I just like freaking popped off. It was amazing. It was like, it was super fun. And then we got to the final round against Victor. We had just, it was like so one-sided the entire time. But when we got to Victor, I just, just did not draw Riven. I did not draw Riven. I did not draw creatures until I lost like I the turn that I drew a, a ribbon was the same turn that I lost in the lab and of course if you lose in the lab 
it's over. You have to start over from the beginning, which was supremely disappointing. But the cool part was when I got done with it, I did get a rare prismatic chest. And as I was watching it on stream, I was saying, come on, guys, let's get the double upgrade. Let's get the upgrade to the epic. And then the epic, let's get the upgrade to the champion. And not even joking, on stream again, double upgrade into prismatic champion again so i am now sitting on 11 prismatic champs on my account um which is just borderline silly so i ended up picking up a uh, prismatic aurelia today and we had to clip it and send it to dbn just so that he knew yeah yeah no i'm i'm i was very insulted actually uh, <laughs> <laughs> i think uh let me check but i'm pretty sure i only have four prismatic champions um and i haven't gotten the zed one yet because i haven't finished up the the event pass have you where are you at on the event pass um on the event pass you know what i've noticed this one's a little bit more grindy i'm at 135 stars out of 270 so like literally right exactly the halfway point um oh, okay. exactly the halfway point okay yeah see i have okay so i just kind of i have five uh prismatic champions i think it's absolutely ridiculous that you have 11 it's i don't 11. understand this it, it, it's great now i have i have gotten two like you know i got the azir and then I, I got two legitimately like i saved up 700 gems or whatever just from from doing the weekly quests every week and, and getting the gems when i can um and i think maybe there was some from last event pass as well but then like all of them other than like three have just been because i have gotten upgraded epic or rare prismatic chests to champions over and over and over it's it's literally it's like uh it's like seven times now i've gotten upgraded to prismatic <laughs> champions on prismatic chests it's, it's absolutely, absolutely insane ridiculous yeah. yeah yeah it's it's very unfair it's it's super unfair yeah. uh just, but you know what i've cool. never had good rng in card games but for whatever reason uh, lor loves me and i have great rng in lor i always have you know well uh we can't all be that lucky so just stop rubbing it in <laughs> well i know that you've never had great rng card games period no, certainly uh, not no so uh but we did finish we got the aurelia azir prismatics just in time for me to never play that deck so uh because i'm not, i haven't i haven't really queued it up yet uh other than in labs or in uh, expeditions I'm, I'm not planning on it but did you play did you get any time to play any lor this week i, I know you kind of had a busy week busy weekend did you get a mm -hmm. chance to squeeze a game or two in I definitely did uh, during the week, so I didn't actually uh, play at all from Friday through now. Uh, but during the week, I played a really a good amount of duo cues. I've just been so hooked on it. Um, I played a little bit of solo as well, but but the main thing is is duo cues. Um, and I have I played a little bit with Gibbles and Bits. I played a little bit with my dad. We got dad broke nerd on here, uh, or dead broke dad, depending on how you want to call it. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I played some duos with him, and that was super fun. Uh, it's just a really satisfying way to play. It also makes it a you know social uh, game, sure. social experience, and that that's big for me. You know, it's funny because I realized like uh, as I'm getting older, like games are becoming more of a social thing than they are like a uh, personal entertainment like time killer. Uh, and I, it, you know, I just don't know exactly why, but I really do value them for that. So duos is, is just a perfect fit for me. Um, and I've played a lot of different decks, you know, with duos. I do always try to, you know, make sure I'm playing a, a competitively viable deck, um, to which sure. like Vlad and Braum has just been still crushing it. 
And, and I think I, I was talking to you about this actually when you were streaming, but like, uh, I think it's interesting. Like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here or anything. I'm sure it's, you know, it's just relatively. Um, I'm really good at Brom Vlad. You know, and I'm sure there's better Braum Vlad players out there, but you know, like it's really fun when you can identify a deck uh, that really speaks to you, and that you can find some really wacky, crazy lines, and and you know, really find a way to win a deck that you really feel comfortable with every single card and the numbers in the list. You can toy with them as needed. You have like that comprehensive understanding of why everything's in there, what purpose it serves, what time of the game you want it in, and you know, I don't know. It just uh, I just feel so at this point, you know, over a year separated from the very first deck I built being Brom Vlad. Not only is it in the probably the best place it's been uh, power level wise, but it also is just so enjoyable to play. And I definitely think it's not an easy one to pilot. So it, it just feels really rewarding to be pulling off so many wins with it, uh, especially when like, I mean, I don't think it's, it's definitely not bad, but, it, you know, it's far from a tier, you know. Uh, is it really far fun. from a tier though I, I feel like it depends on who you ask i mean i think I like that it's they firmly b tier i maybe I'm i that's how that. i would evaluate it but i don't necessarily think that's how uh everyone evaluates it i think that it's one of those ones that like again like the the, the skill uh floor is a little higher you know so it's got a little bit of a lower play rate i don't know about its win rate but i would imagine that like the win rate's probably closer to 50 percent in fact if i remember correctly like a couple weeks ago vlad himself actually has a below 50 percent win rate he's like 15 or 49 percent win rate and braum is weird. a little bit above 50 percent yeah because i think that how does braum have high i mean who is playing braum without vlad right now? well you question. know i saw some people on reddit like claiming that it's better i i don't agree um I think that Vlad is often not as good to drop on five as Tarkaz is, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same mm -hmm. time, Vlad is a win condition and he is a counter to some decks because of the ability to heal. Like in yeah, and of absolutely. itself, like he, he, to me, while it may not blow out matches as hard, he's a, he will save so many matchups that he's totally worth including in the deck. Um, even if occasionally he might sit in your hand and you play other things around him. Like, just because you have a champion that you could play on curve, you know, do doesn't mean you should always play it on curve. There's plenty of times where on five I don't drop Vlad, um, whether because it's he's not leveled yet or because doing the pushing the damage off of his thing is not worth it on that turn, uh, or I don't care about the health and I'd rather have this, the raw, you know, stat line. So, like, there's, there's plenty of reasons not to play Vlad on five, um, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't be in the deck. That's my two cents on it anyways. Um, I, I think that deck would get so much better if there was some more consistency around scar grounds, whether that was alternate ways to get scar grounds out or get in, get it into your hand with that combination or another card that did something similar to scar grounds at a similar point of mana because I think that that is one of the one of the breaking points for that deck is scar grounds is a pretty important card and uh not that it's central to win like you you can win with that deck without getting the scar grounds out but the scar grounds does make it feel a lot stronger when it does hit the board yeah, I really feel like that absolutely. might be one of the things that it's just missing yet right I think that yes and no. Like I do, I definitely agree the deck would be much stronger if it had redundancy on Scar Grounds. Um, but at the same time, I think that that's again one of the skill floor elements is that like what do you do and how do you change how you play if you don't hit 
uh, scar grounds. I've actually talked with with Gibbles and Bits at length about this um, because I feel like you play two very different styles when you do or don't have scar grounds. Um, and when you have scar grounds, you can really play pretty up tempo. And when you don't have scar grounds, you kind of have to sit back and you know be a little bit more uh, of a combo win condition with like scar mother Vrenna. Uh, as a finisher mm-hmm. so like you, you really have to adapt your play style based on whether or not you have scar grounds and then of course there's the i think there's the contingency of players that will always and forever drop scar grounds on three no matter what guaranteed and there's times most of the time that's right but there are very important matchups where you you don't want to drop scar grounds on three you can't afford the tempo loss sure you know yeah um you and it is a, a tempo loss more aggressive. oh yeah absolutely yeah. So I just feel like I have that I'm at the, I'm at the point now where I feel like I have that inherent understanding and that like instinctive play pattern with uh you know with Braun Vlad that's really really satisfying. So I, again you guys are probably sick of me talking about it but I've been finding or finding myself you know reverting to that deck as just that mainstay staple that I'm just never ever going to get sick of. However, yes. I, I do want to share one deck that is a Gibbles and Bits original that I've been kind of working with him on and tuning. Um, but it, he, you know, unlike some of our other, you know, kind of cooperative uh, decks, he definitely came up with this one himself, and I've just been playing it a lot and working on it. Um, but uh, I've been addicted to this one as well, which is actually, uh, I think he calls it Kablamiflage. 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 Yeah, but it's a. Um, it is a Zed LeBlanc list with Swole Squirrel, and it kind of operates similar to the all-in Draven lists that like Swim has been messing around with, but I think it's maybe a little less um, combo-y. Okay. okay. Um, maybe a, it has like maybe a... Um, it's it's um, maybe a little more consistent or a little bit less prone to dead draws uh but maybe without quite the explosive combo firepower that 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 one has but with the addition of syncopation um the flurry of fist uh, flurry of fists combos are so enjoyable and between leblanc zed and swole squirrel there's so many ways to really capitalize on it mm. um and so um syncopation is instead of it being like granting overwhelm is the way that like that um, all in Draven lists would operate. Yeah. Instead sure. of that, you're going more with the elusive granting Fey Guide and swapping um, into a unblocked defender with syncopation. So, like for yeah. instance, if you drop a Young Witch on two and then you swing with Young Witch and Zed, Zed summons a duplicate. If they block the duplicate, you can swap the duplicate with the unblocked Young Witch, and all of a sudden Zed levels when they weren't expecting it. Um, syncopation is, is probably my favorite card from this last round of, uh, expansion. And, it's a really um, interesting card. I am, I am addicted to that, to that card, to syncopation. It just blows my mind wide open anytime I, I mess with it. So obviously getting to play it with Swole Squirrel, uh, getting to, uh, you know, play it with Zed is really fun. And quite frankly, Zed feels really fun with syncopation and Zed feels more fun to play now than ever before for me. So that's cool. Uh, as well, because I feel like Zed a lot of times was is hard to get excited about Zed, and now I I'm I I'm, I am excited about Zed. So it just got a lot of cool stuff. I just uh, I guess I wanted to bump it, not necessarily uh, 
just talk about how fun um, I think some of these uh, you know new cards are as as much as we're talking about cards and and strategies that we're you know maybe not as happy with in the environment. There's still a lot of cool new stuff you can do that that is making Runeterra fun. Um, maybe just outside of that immediately competitive scene. That being said, with this deck, I've beaten Aurelia Azir several times just because I can kind of combo out as they're still putting pressure. So it's, it's yeah, just, there's just a lot of up. cool stuff. Plus, Swole Squirrel loves to eat 1-1 blades. Oh, yes. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in, you say that uh, last week's episode was entitled We're Still Having Fun. And, uh, and I think that that remains true. Like, I know that there has been still some dislike and in today in today's episode we're doing one of our favorite things which is actually to look at cards and and make wild predictions about what the the nerfs and buffs may be coming up and see if we're right or we're wrong that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not enjoying the game right now um or that we're not having fun with it i've had a great time with it even losing today in uh, in lab of legends you know last week you talked about exploring other game modes inside of lor and that's kind of what i've done this past week is explored some of the other game modes revisited some of the labs checked out some of that stuff played a couple of ex uh, an expedition one expedition and and really enjoyed it didn't get a ton of time to play this past week and uh what was definitely grinding some on uh on TFT real quickly though you know I thought it was interesting you asked me on stream what deck you know I felt comfortable with finding unique plays and I think I responded but I think that the real answer is it's not really a deck for me it's Ash for me I've played so much Ash in Ash Sejuani in uh in Ash with Israel in Ash with uh, what was the oh with Lux in Ash with all all sorts of different characters that I find unique lines in ways to set up winning with Ash um, more often I feel more comfortable in Ash than I do any other champion and whatever I feel is sort of like the strongest iteration of what she fits in although it's often obviously not like oftentimes I'm I'm not doing like the aggressive like the super aggressive Ash lists that are popular right now which. You know, or, or LeBlanc Ash, you know, typically, or, or Le, I guess LeBlanc's a 20, but I really need to go back to my first love, which is going back to some Ash decks, finding one that works, maybe going back to an Ash Sejuani list. I think I would have a lot of fun with that because I, I, haven't, I haven't played that in a while. But one of the things we wanted to talk about today, well, first, I'd like to do this. I'd like to just say thank you to over all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash legendscast. Thank you so much for your support. We deeply appreciate you. We just sent out like literally, it, it was like literally hundreds of dollars worth of, of, of stuff uh, for the winners of the Legends Cast Discord League. That was made possible by you. And at the end of the episode today, we are going to draw a name uh, for a Legends Cast pint glass or hat. I have one of each left. And then uh, in a month or so, we're going to start giving away T-shirts because we did purchase T-shirts. By the time this episode comes out, the T-shirt sales will be closed. So hopefully if you wanted a T-shirt, you were able to get one. And the last plug I'm going to do is say, hey, if you've never left us a rating or a review on iTunes, Go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. I think we are the best or highest rated. We're, we we are one amongst a couple of five-star rated Legends of Runeterra podcasts, but we have more ratings 
than any other podcast out there. And we can keep that up by you going. And and, and so if you don't want to, you know, you don't have spare cash right now, I completely understand. Like the world's a crazy place. But one thing you can do that's entirely free that does help us out a lot is go to iTunes, drop us a five-star rating and review. And if you'll do that, I'll start reading them out on the show. Um, give you a shout out on the show because we, we appreciate you giving us uh giving us feedback um and, you know our feedback goes all the way back from now uh just shy of two years ago it was early june i think uh next week or the week after will be our two-year anniversary which is kind of crazy for the show um doing this for two years um uh, but dbn you had a good idea do you want to go ahead and jump us into the first segment showtime That is correct. So our next segment is something that if you listened last week uh, was inadvertently previewed because I said it and I said, that's a fun idea. Let's do it. We are going to go through our top three emotes in Legends of Runeterra. So we have each picked our three favorite emotes uh, in the game, ones that we use all the time uh, to either greet or thank or disparage our opponents. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but uh, one of the things that I have changed my mind so much about this game is when it first came out, I saw the emotes and I thought, how stupid is that? I just don't get it. <laughs> I was like, I think this is so dumb. And yet, I have been, my mind has been completely changed. I love emotes now. They're so, so fun. As, as much as I don't like getting emotes spammed, a well-timed emote, even from an opponent, can still make me laugh. Uh, so let's go over it, Mark. What is your number three emote? Oh, my my number three emote. Oh, shoot. You know, I, I had to go to the ones that I own. There are some really good emotes that I don't own. And I have to preface this by saying I'm not really a BMer in this game. I have chosen a lot of emotes that sort of emphasize what I'm actually feeling. Um, and so I, I think one of my favorite emotes that I have come to, uh, has been the Y emote, which is Soraka sort of shaking her hands, uh, <laughs> and acting frantically. Um, it's just become my reaction to whenever my opponent really pulls one over on me, or I played into something stupid and didn't see it coming. Um, as kind of my way of saying like, I'm not angry at you for avalanching my board when I knew that could have come and I wasn't paying attention and I got avalanche and I lose the game. Um, so why, why has been, uh, probably my third favorite. I have a couple that I really like more than why. Um, but the Soraka Y emote is definitely one of my favorite ones. And I think that one probably comes pretty firmly in at number three. I, the, um, another one that was in contention, which I've not used really is much obliged, uh, which is the Tom <laughs> Kench emote. Which is such a good one. It is a little bit more BME than Y, which is one of the reasons that I haven't, uh, I haven't used it nearly as often. Um, but occasionally, Tom Kench will get in there for me. Yeah, no, that that uh, th those are both good ones. There's a lot of really good BME ones, but I'm actually not a a BM emoter either. Um, I I definitely ref uh, prefer the ones that are more that serve a purpose and or are mildly self-deprecating. Uh, sure, <laughs> so, sure, yeah. So my number three is actually I gotta I gotta give it for uh, a, a tie. I, I'm sorry, I had to pick four. Um, oh, that's and it's cheating. A tie. I basically did too. So I know you did, and that's why I decided it was okay. So I have a uh -huh. tie. I use them in very different, very similar situations or uh, ones in which I am. Uh, dealing with something that uh, my opponent did that I didn't see coming or that was pretty devastating. 
Occasionally, I will use it as a uh, as a BM2, uh, but that would be the all is fine uh, emote with uh, the old like from the <laughs> the first Cherry Blossom Festival, yep. which is uh, the classic meme with uh, Yasuo sipping his little tea or sake or whatever he's got. Uh, it's um, I use that all the time whenever my opponent does something that's like completely blows out the game uh or or whatever or when i have to commit to something like fully and i have no mana and it's pretty obvious that i'm like you know super vulnerable to a specific counter and i'll uh -huh. just throw that one out there all is fine <laughs> all is fine i'll be okay i'll be okay yeah <laughs> and uh the other one uh that 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 this ties with is is similarly actually uh the uh mind blown one with swain Oh sure, yeah. So uh, mind blown is one I don't own, but a very good emo. I love using that one. That's one that I will use for multiple situations. Sometimes when my opponent does something like that seems excessive, uh, you know, like they'll they'll blow up, like they'll spend a lot of mana to blow up one thing, and I'll just I'll play throw the mind blown one out there. <laughs> it's a little BME there, uh, but uh, but I also tend to do it quite a bit um, whenever something particularly creative happens so when my opponent's playing a, a really unique deck and does something cool i always will throw the mind blowing one out there almost as like a compliment like like wow that was pretty cool congrats dude like uh that that's the one uh that i really like for that reason too so so those are my my third place ones i swear i'm not going to do this for everyone but uh what's your second place yeah i'm trying not to do it for everyone as well um i i, I had a hard time picking between what my top ones are, which which you would think that would mean that one would naturally become third, but it didn't happen. So one of them is getting kicked out. Um, so my number two is No Mercy, which is the Riven emote. Um, mm. It's one of my favorite ones to throw up, like with an open attack. Um, even if it's not, even if I'm like, even if I'm not in a good situation. The nice thing about the Riven emote is like if you're if you're like winning pretty hard and like you know that you're about to end the game, you can throw up the no mercy emote and end it with the no mercy. Or if you're definitely losing the game and uh you're it's kind of a self-deprecating emote, uh yeah. be like, I'm not giving in, no mercy. <laughs> like I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my stuff at you even though I'm losing at this. Um, or I it's oftentimes one that I like to this is probably the closest I come to BMing, is when someone joins and throws up either Braum or Vlad, I always throw them back Riven. Because um, they, <laughs> they greet me and I respond with no mercy um, is, is usually how I respond. Um, because funny. I don't really have a good greeting emote that I keep on my bar, my six emotes typically, um, which is silly because it's probably the most used emote that I would have, but I don't use one. So Riven is my greeting emote, the, the no mercy. I'm in, I'm in this game to win, guys. I, I, I ain't in it to lose, even though my deck is probably trash. I'm still in it to win. Um, so yeah, my number two is Riven. How about you, DBN? Yeah, number two, I mentioned it last week. I'm mentioning it again. It's going to be Big Flex. Oh, Big yes. Flex is my favorite. I love emotes with uh, like multiple use cases, you know? Oh, sure. Uh, and Big Flex is really fun because obviously uh, when you do something really cool, you can do Big Flex. Uh, kind of like the inverse that I was talking about with Swain, where if your opponent does something really cool, you can do Mind Blown. Uh, but if you do something really cool, Big Flex is fun. Uh, whenever I play a game, if I'm playing against a particularly obnoxious deck or obnoxious opponent, uh, I will get a little, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get a little bit uh, uh, prideful when I win. 
Uh, so if I, you know, get a narrow victory uh, or one in which my, you know, especially against like, you know, if I'm going against Aurelia Zier, I respect my opponent, but I also uh, am a little resentful that I have to deal with it yet again. So that's sure. what I'll do. I'll throw up when I beat tier one meta decks. I'll put big flex up. Um, but I also really like doing it ironically when I play like a little tiny spider or something. Uh, I'll put a little Poro or a spider out and then do big flex because it's just kind of cute. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. You know, and it's a lot less BME to use big flex at the end of a game when you are defeating your opponent than it is to use something like, you know, piece of cake or much obliged or Brahms. Hello there. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's significantly more BME than oh, Big yeah, Flex. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think Big Flex is a great emote. I have not really collected many emotes that are not of champions, so I don't have Big Flex, um, but I do think that Big Flex is a, is a really good emote. It are is, you ready for my number one? I mean, it's it's new, and it's just, just jumped into the rotation on every deck now, you know? Yeah, yeah, give me your number one. Okay, my number one is my number one for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because you can't... I don't think you can get it anymore. I think it's limited. I, yes, it, it is. It's a limited option to get it. And I picked it up while it was limited. Um, and uh, it's just one of my favorite ones to respond with. And that's Shivana's fired up. So the Shivana emote was one you were able to pick up when the Shivana card back came out, kind of in a bundle of the card back, the emote, and the dragon um, the Dragon uh, Guardian, and I picked up that set whenever it came out because I really liked it. Um, I just, I, I find a lot of reasons to use Fired Up. Like, I love using Fired Up when the game is getting good. Like, mm. when it's when it's tense, when you're not really sure who's going to win. Now, if you get trounced, I don't really like using Fired Up. Uh, or if you're trouncing your opponent, it's not really a great emote. But when it's tense, when there's a lot of back and forth, when your opponent pulls off a good play, or whenever I pull off a really good play and flip the board, it's kind of like, it, it's my, it's it's my emote of mutual respect, right? That That's really what I use it for of like, mm -hmm. like, you know, that's, Hey man, good play. Or yeah, like that was a good move by me um, is, is the fired up emote by Shivana. So that's kind of one that's always on the rotation. Um, you know, there's some honorable mentions that, that could be, that, you know, that I could say, I, I, I do occasionally like using, um, uh, like the nervous emote, which is the yikes emote by Cythria. Um, mm -hmm. That one's really good whenever I throw something out there and see if my opponent can counter it. Um, but I think Shivana is probably like at the top. That that's 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 my go-to emote right now. Shivana is fired up. How about you, DBN? What's your number one, man? Number one, it's got to be the one, the only. Cheers, iconic, simple. I knew it. Multiple uses, and my boy Vlad really gets a shine here. Uh, you know, it, it even says in the text when you go and look at it in the uh, the store, the quote is, this is going to be good. And you know what? This emote is going to be good. You use it all the time. You greet somebody. You say a good game to somebody. Uh, if they do a particularly cool thing, you could cheers them. If you're trying to BM them because uh, they just did something that helped you out, you can cheers them. There's so many uses. You can use it all the time. Nobody even really knows what you mean when you do cheers. But uh, I am pretty happy because really early on, like as soon as this one came out, this is the first emote that I bought because I knew how good it was going to be to replace the Shen well-played one uh, as yes. my as my default greeting. Um, and so I use it all the time. And uh, now I don't have to have Shen on my emote bar. 
unless sometimes I want to. Sometimes I, I'm feeling pretty respectful and I want to use that instead. But most of the time, I like that little undercurrent of confidence that comes with Cheers. <laughs> I think Cheers is a great one. Uh, one that doesn't make it onto my list of emotes, unfortunately. Um, but I, I do think out of all, if you look across the board at all emotes, like for all players out of like, what is some of the most respected emotes in the game? I have to think that Cheers is up there. Even if Vlad is one of the least respected champions in the game, I think his emote, if it isn't the most, it's got to be one of the most respected in the game. Must be. Has to be. Yeah. I think it has to be. Well, guys, we're going to go ahead and move on. And actually, uh, I decided I said it was going to be the end of the episode. Instead, we're going to do it right now. Uh, a drawing for uh, the winner of this month's uh, Patreon reward. Um, it was supposed to happen. I guess I, I said it was supposed to happen last week, but technically this is the last day of May. So we're it, the, the episode's going to come out the beginning of April, but or the beginning of June. But this is... The, which I guess I thought we were going back in time. I, I don't really want to go <laughs> back any closer to 2020. Um, but the winner of uh, of this month's uh, Legends cast hat or pint glass is Steel 8956. Steel 8956, a patron since October 31st, Halloween 2020. A patron since uh, Halloween of 2020. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you, Steel 8956. You are awesome, and if you just shoot me a message with your name and address, I will do my best to shortly thereafter get that out to you. Let me know what you want, a hat or a pint glass. They're both pretty awesome, and uh, thank you for supporting the show. Thank you to anybody who is a supporter of the show. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and jump over to our main segment for tonight. Time for the main event. <laughs> Okay, guys, our main segment for tonight is the best opportunity for us to be embarrassed by discussing the <laughs> cards that we think might get changed or we'd like to see changed and how we think they're going to get changed in the upcoming uh, patch because we know there's a patch coming up. Obviously, we know there's going to be probably some card changes, likely some pretty significant ones. I saw a leak earlier today, but I couldn't tell if the leak was real or not real. So we're going to just assume that it wasn't real because it would defeat the purpose of us doing this, and I don't want to do that. So what we decided to do is what we usually do, which is four card nerfs, predictions on four card nerfs, and one card buff. And I'm going to leave it up to DBN to start us off, and uh, we'll do the buff last. So let's... Let's start off with your first card nerf. What is a, a card that you want to see get the axe uh, next week, the week after? Yeah, yeah. So um, this one is the one I've talked about the most. So right now I'll talk about the least. That's going to be Spectral Matron. It's pretty obvious. Mm. Uh, and it, it's pretty, um, well, you know, let, let me be clear. Do I think that, uh, you know, Trundle, Lissandra combo slash control is the best deck in the format right now? No, but it it stands to become the best deck in the format once again uh, as uh, Azir Aurelia either... And, and Azir Aurelia inevitably will get balanced a bit. Um, and it's already creeping its way back into competitive play, top tier, uh, Masters level play, as well as tournaments. So, you know, uh, Trundle Lissandra Control is going to be a problem. I think Spectrum Matron is the biggest issue with it because I absolutely do not like how the matrons themselves count towards uh, getting a second copy of Watcher Down. I actually mm. don't like uh, how Spectrum Matron uh, allows you to even play the Watcher outside of its own uh, condition. If it were me, 
and I had a perfect world situation, I would have Spectromatron um, rework to say something along the lines of uh, choose a, uh, was it ally in your hand, a creature? I don't exactly, I need to look I, I up think the it specific wording. It, it, can't, it can't pull a champ. It cannot pull a champion. Yeah, I, I know that. I'm, I'm trying to see if uh, it says uh, pick an ally in hand. So I would change it to say pick an ally in hand uh, with cost equal to or less than your maximum mana. Okay. Oh. And that way, if it's turn eight, you can get another eight. If it's turn nine, you can get a nine. Turn ten, you can get a ten. But in this way, you would not ever be able to play Watcher through this ability. Obviously, if you wanted Spectral Matron to, you can speed up Watcher if Spectral Matron targets another Spectral Matron or a nine drop or whatever. Sure. Then you can speed that those things up for Watcher. That's that I'm fine with, you know. Um, but I don't like being able to play Watcher, you know, uh, for free with this. And I definitely don't like what it can do now, which is basically allow you to play two Watchers in one turn. Uh, that's messed up. So yeah. Spectrum Matron <laughs> yeah. is an issue. I like my answer too because it potentially um, smooths over the Cythria situation a little bit better. Yeah, um, because that I, I, combo is kind of fun. You know, well, Cythria combo. Here's the thing: like, uh, Cythria combo could, could is going to get a lot stronger um, mm -hmm. if something else in Trundle Lissandra control gets dealt with, um, and if Azira Relia gets dealt with, and it's already good. Like, I, I actually, you know, it's tough. You get a card that's cool like Cythria, and you want to be able to play it, right? I sympathize, but I also just worry about like how much that becomes the new obnoxious thing, Be you know, with, I mean, anytime you, we've talked about this in the past, anytime you break how mana works yeah, and oh, spending yes. mana works, uh, it, it's a recipe for disaster, right? I mean, you've talked about that uh, ad nauseum with the, uh, was it the, the bilge water <laughs> deck cost reduction person? Oh yeah, that seven yeah. drop. Um, uh, yes, smooth soloist. Smooth soloist. I mean, that has never come in. Not yet, anyway. I swear. Not yet. Me. But I mean, we talk about it all the time, and we always see it when you're getting stuff for free. Um, and even if it is ephemeral, like you know, uh, because it's getting summoned, those summon effects still go off. I just, yeah, I, I just am worried, um, about how Spectromatron. And the effect that it has on the game, I like big things being able to be played, um, but I just don't think this is this is a the good right card thing. long term. Yeah, that's so, probably so. I and so I think that the I think that like having Spectrum Matron be able to bring Cythria down on ten or nine if you played a um, that one drop on it, you mm -hmm. know, um, the uh, Oblivious Islander. That can that can do some shenanigans. Uh, I I think that like I'm still I think I want that to be able to be done, but I just want it to not be quite as consistently good. Not that I'm arguing that Cythria needs a nerf. I'm arguing that Spectrum Matron is a card that long term is not going to be good for the uh, for the for the environment, and so that's why I think that like it should have that limit of only pulling the thing that you would naturally be able to afford anyways. Yeah, because it's basically doubling your mana, but it's yeah. not allowing you to over double your mana, right? Exactly. Like it, if it allows you to double your mana, that's fine. 
uh, over double your mana, probably not a good thing. And I agree. I think that Spectral Mage needs head. I left it off my list um, simply because I, I knew that it would be on DBN's list. I was like, I, I, th I think I can comfortably leave this one off of my list. Yep. Um, so my first nerf I'm calling for is for Smooth Soloist. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I actually, uh, mine, mine are actually a little bit boring and pretty focused. I decided to stay inside of because the only one outside of the latest expansion uh which is empires of the ascended that i would have hit is spectral matron and because i was avoiding spectral matron i decided to stay in i'm gonna go my first one's just gonna be boring honestly it's just boring but i think it's probably necessary i'm going to target dune keeper um dune keeper mm. the one mana two one from sharima that summons a sand soldier um, which of course is a one mana one one ephemeral that if it strikes face nexus strike deals an additional damage my nerf is just to flip its stats it's not a huge nerf uh, but my nerf is make him a one mana one two that uh, summons a sand soldier um i uh i there's probably cooler and more creative ways i also thought of like what about a two mana one one that reads when i attack summon a sand soldier so it could happen more than once i think that's probably even less relevant so i'm going with the one mana one two summon a sand soldier you have the sand soldier side which is a little bit aggressive you have the dune keeper side which would be a little bit more on the defensive side i think it's a little bit more balanced out right now i don't like that sharima on turn one can drop a one drop and if you don't have a response deals four damage to your face if they have attack token um i think that's just too aggressive like that ability alone enables or makes you want to force a sharima aggressive strategy right just that alone if if it didn't if you didn't have that you might be looking at other areas for sharima maybe you wouldn't be so forced but i just think that dune keeper is is just too strong of a card um, so I would go with a, a one mana one two summon a sand soldier instead of a one mana two one summon a sand soldier. You're not losing any stats, but the stats are in the wrong places. I don't think that makes it unplayable because it still works towards like a zero level up. You're still summoning two things on turn round, turn one. That's powerful. So that's my first one. It's boring, but I think it would be really influential. Um, Dune Keeper in slowing down some of these aggressive azir lists in the early game yeah dune keeper's my number one cool i i can i can uh i can see the argument even if i'm okay with dune keeper i i mean i i like aggressive one drops uh because i like the ability to um i, I you know i like the ability to play aggressive but i also really think that um, one drops are important to an interesting metagame. So, you know, I don't want to see... I want every faction to have an interesting, good one drop. Um, and I think Dune Keeper does something that we don't see in any other one drops, which is it duplicates. It, you know, creates, you know, a different mm -hmm. presence. So, you know, yes, it can do the most amount of damage on the turn it comes down. But, like, also those stats don't stick. You know, like you will with the Jagged Butcher or sure. uh, whatever. So, you know... Uh, uh, Pros and cons, <laughs> um, but uh, but I can see the argument for for certain. Um, let's see. So my second one is uh, aimed at dealing with Azir Aurelia. And look, mm. this is I don't actually think that my proposed uh, nerf is enough, um, but I it is the one that I think drives me nuts the most, and is the one that to me, um, like if I saw this. Uh, in the deck less 
or if I or if you know the cost was you know higher, which is spoiler alert, I'm just bumping the cost on this. Uh, it would feel a lot more manageable. The matchup would, mm. uh, and and uh, I have major fundamental issues with the Zero Relia, but I don't want to spend multiple nerfs like uh, in this list on that deck. I'm kind of targeting a different thing with each one. So um, my Zero Relia targeted one is lead and follow. Uh, so, okay, and that's the return. Can you can you remind me about what that one yes. is? Yeah, lead and follow is the two mana fast spell. Recall an ally to create a flawless duet in hand. Um, I can't believe I'm arguing for a recall nerf, but I am. <laughs> um, recall is proving to be quite potent with, um, with blade dancing, and yes. uh, because you know, especially the blossoming blade. Uh, with the four mana three three, you know, blade dance two, uh, even the the two one blade dance one, like these blade dances are the bread and butter of the deck. I don't want to nerf Azir because I like Azir in other decks. I don't want you know other. I don't want Sharima to be nerfed because of this weird Ionian mechanic. Um, and if we're not you know messing with the mechanic itself, which I don't feel is something that they're willing to do. I'm going to take what I think is the reasonable riot, you know, approach, which is just, uh, in this case, not doing a rework, just bumping the cost. So to me, I look at lead and follow. I say, what does this do for that deck? Well, it basically gives them two more blade dances at the cost mm -hmm. of two mana. The recall is, is not really a cost because that deck has such uh, oppressive... Uh, you know, board presence through the summons that a lot of the creatures end up just hanging out on the back line and not actually doing anything, right? Mm -hmm. So the, there's really no cost associated with the recall like has there's traditionally been uh, in other, you know, Ionia decks. The idea of like, oh my gosh, if I recall, like I'm struggling to keep pace with other things. Well, with the rate that these blades are, you know, pressuring the opponent, the opponent is uh, whittling their own board down uh, and thus their ability to attack, you know, by dealing with the blades. So the recalling an ally, even temporarily, is is just really not truly a cost. So what does that mean? That means the mana cost needs to go up, or flawless duet needs to be not needs to not be the result. Um, I think that like I'm okay with retreat recall uh, being a replacement for this card if you want the like mana efficiency. Um, because you're not actually getting two blade dances off of it. You're getting just the one blade dance. So I would argue that with the power of adding an extra blade dance uh, that you can play now and also a blade dance you can play in the future and because it's a spell, with spell mana, I would bump this from two to four. Ooh, that's that's a jump. Well, when you look at the fact that the majority of the, um, you know, the spells that they're playing, um, or excuse me, the blade dance triggers are on creatures. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you look at the fact that the the core energy of the deck is actually not, in fact, spells, but um, you know, the creatures that you're playing, which yeah, means the they're stocking up spell mana pretty quick, which is how they're able to get away with playing Homecoming. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is a direct competition now with Homecoming saying you are, you know, 
spending money on these higher cost spells, I mean, the fact that they can run deny an aggro quote unquote list, even though it's really more aggro combo, um, you know, is a big indicator that they don't have a lot competing for their spell mana. Um, and uh, and so I would I would you know argue that moving this from two to four um, definitely makes this card less appealing, but still has appeal. Um, it's just competing for the slots of other things. And so if you want to play a cheap recall, you play a different card. If you want to play, um, you know, uh, a recall that can, uh, you know, mess with the opponent, you play Homecoming instead of this and maybe cut this. Or if you want to have a slightly more expensive deck, you run both. Like, I want them to have to make that decision. And right now, Lead and Follow is too much of an auto-include in there. You know, and and is just another Blade Dance trigger that is cheap and easy to do. Uh, it's too much. It drives me nuts whenever I see it um, because there's just really no good way to... There's really no good way to, to do anything about it um, because if you're... If all you're doing, you know, is stopping their benched unit, if you're spending like two to four mana destroying their benched unit before it gets recalled, like... I don't know how you're winning that game anyway. So I, I, I'm pretty happy with that. I don't think it'll happen. It, it would probably be more likely because of their, you know, stinginess with mana cost changes go to three. But I'd love to see it go to four. I really want them to have to make more decisions in deck building. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, li I like that adjustment. I like that adjustment. I think lead and follow is a really strong card. And that would not kill the heart of the Azir Rilia deck, which I'm attempting to adjust. Like a lot of my adjustments are to cards mm. on the periphery that enable sort of the oppressive portions of Azir Rilia. Um, and so I like that because that sort of gets at that. I, I didn't even think of lead and follow. Um, but my mm. second one is an adjustment to that sort of same thing. Um, my second is is to adjust a card that sort of enables a, a, a Zir Aurelia, and uh, that is Inspiring Marshall. Inspiring Marshall, five mana, four, six. When you summon an ally, give it plus two, plus zero this round. Um, I think that Inspiring Marshall is a really cool card, and I actually really like the concept around Inspiring Marshall. Um, it is sort of like an enabler for sort of a token strategy. It is really abused with blades. It's super abused with blades. And I wanted to see a way for that not to work quite so well. And so I had two adjustments that were kind of my ideas. Um, one is when you summon an ally, give it plus one plus zero instead of plus two plus zero. Um, I think that uh, I think that that's appropriate. I don't think that that's outrageous. Um, five mana four six is still a pretty good body. Um, a nice average statted sort of defensive body, something that you like to keep on the board. Um, the other option is uh, when you play another ally, give it plus two plus zero this round which does not enable you to buff the things that you're summoning which would uh you know not buff blades would not buff sand soldiers but would enable this deck to be used in uh, other decks this card to be used in other decks that want to play out several creatures um not summon a bunch of creatures now i realize that most token decks summoning kind of goes with the territory right you're not playing a bunch of stuff um but I still, I still would love to, I, that. Might mm -hmm. the second nerf might nerf Inspiring Marshall into the ground, and I realize that. But I think there's room to to maybe transition this from summon to play. Once again, I'm not a dev, so I don't really know, right? Maybe that's way over the top. But when I look at Inspiring Marshall, I'm like, this is one of the cards that makes 
the Azir Aurelia deck so strong and so oppressive in the mid game to sort of close things out. When you look at Aurelia MF, yes, it can it can boost the attack of some of your your one ones and stuff, but not nearly as well because the mm -hmm. the jagged Taskmaster simply is not as a reliable way as just slamming an inspiring marshal on the ground and never blocking or attacking with it so that you always buff your blades for the rest of the game where you, you have to actually plunder to get the other one off. And I'd love to see there be sort of like a leveling of the playing field between MF Irelia and Azir Irelia. And I think really the difference is how capable they are of buffing those blades and how reliably you can do that. Inspiring Marshall, in my opinion, is a too reliable of a way to do it. And I don't think I would touch its stats. I don't mind its stats. I don't mind its cost. I think it comes down at an appropriate point in the game. But I do think I would make it on things that you play rather than things that you summon or lessen the buff that it gives it so that you're not dropping three one blades every time. This you, is know, you know, um, this is an interesting point because I specifically chose I, – I didn't cover this and I intended to. I chose lead and follow because it would hit MF as mm. well, at least peripherally. I don't think it's quite as important to the MF version, but I think it's still important. My – my thing is, and, and, it, and actually, I happen to think that MF is a more, if anything, is more powerful, just less consistent, which to me is still an issue. I actually lose to MF significantly more than I lose to the Azir version. Oh, interesting. Um, and it comes strictly down to, do they get MF on three? If so, it's so hard to deal with. Yeah, because if they level her, which they can do pretty reliably. They can do in really one turn. I, I've gotten one turn leveled mm -hmm. multiple times. It, it, it's really uncomfortable, and it, it kind of uh, is something that, that really breaks how the the champion was intended to be played. Um, because, you know, if they can level her in one or even really two turns, um, that's without the same level of commitment that previously scouts would have had to put down, especially yeah. considering you only have like two scouts in all of, well, two playable, arguably just one playable scout in all of Bilgewater, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, uh, I mean, I I do have issues with how that works, and it comes from I think it's I think there's another thing that I wanted to throw out here while we're on the. Uh, blade dance package thing. I I think that as I've thought about this, I would love for the blossoming blade and the ribbon dancer, um, the units that, um, and, and I guess the Zanea too, the ones that summon blade dances. I wish that like other play effects, uh, would put it on the stack. Hmm. Just like a flawless duet or whatever, I would prefer. Uh, that to go on the stack as opposed to being an instant, you know, basically a burst speed blade dance. That bothers me. Um, and it really, I mean, imagine the level of counterplay if you could, you know, especially on your initiative, mm -hmm. like on your supposed attack token, where which really means nothing against that deck. Uh, if you were able to nopify that blossoming blade when it dropped down, um, that would be oh, huge. Yes, would be I, I really, it, and honestly, if they made that adjustment, it might just be enough to not have to touch anything as it currently stands. Mm. Um, it just would probably push Ionia into an even more competitive slot as decks start saying, 
okay, I either need right of negations, but that's a lot more expensive, or I need to be, you know, uh, dipping into Ionia for its negation, mm. um, which could be an interesting place to be in. Uh, I, I, I think that that that's potentially a, a way to go if you really don't want to mess with the like stats of everything, just simply allow there to be a window of opportunity to counter the two burst speed blade dances that are in the game. Because like the flawless duets, if anything, like at slow speed and uh, being telegraphed, you, you can interact. You can interact, you can play around it, you can plan a little bit. Um, at least uh, if, you know, like let's say they they do drop your blo- the blossoming blade, uh, and are about to and are about to summon all these units. That might be a great opportunity for you to evaluate and say, "Okay, crap! Oh my gosh, I'm gonna I I needed an extra second here. Okay, let me go ahead and drop my vengeance on their Azir, or let me or their inspiring marshal, or let me go ahead and you know, um, culling strike, um, Azir or scorched earth that dais. Like it's just that the the you know opportunity for counterplay going up." would be, I think, enough for the deck to still be quite strong, quite playable, uh, but make it feel a lot less bad. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I could agree. But that's with that. not a nerf. That's a that's a mechanic adjustment. Yeah, that that's that's an adjustment to the core of of uh, yeah. of how that blade dance works. But why don't you tell me about what your your uh, your third nerf would be? Okay, third nerf, very simple. Uh, I do want to target. Uh, Thresh Nasus, which again, I have a the strong expectation that Azir Aurelia will get nerfed, but I am also suspecting that Thresh Nasus will not, considering they did a round on that. Uh, if you ask me, definitely not enough, but with Atrocity and, um, oh, the uh, Blighted Caretaker. I think the mm-hmm. card that to me is the most problematic uh, within that deck uh, is Spirit Leech. I have oh, a big issue mm-hmm. with Spirit Leech, and it's not actually the card draw; uh, it's the stats on it. So, if I'm going to go and look at Thresh uh, Nasus, a four mana four one, uh, you know, destroy an ally, draw two cards. Um, when you look at why this is being played, you might say, "But DBN, the, the defense is so low." Okay, granted, but let's talk about how. Uh, the entire point of playing Spirit Leech has nothing to do with its board presence. You're playing it to massively cycle through the deck and trigger slays. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, for four mana, you are cycling to destroying one, triggering a last gasp if it has it, and either way, bumping your uh, Bakai uh, Reapers and your Nasus. So it's doing its job already. What else is it doing? Because it does its job at at burst speed, which means its defense is irrelevant. Its Mm -hmm. defense is it's already done its job. So what is it doing after it gets that great effect? It's sitting there and acting as a deterrent. It's not worth killing because it's already done its job. But it also, with four attack, is threatening overwhelming amount of units uh, for decks that want to be able to try to pressure Thresh Nasus because they have no other way of winning the game if they don't. Mm-hmm. So to me, Spirit Leech's attack needs to go down. And I would uh, argue for Spirit Leech to be adjusted to a from a four mana four one to a four mana two two. Yeah, I can see that. The thing is, if at a four mana two two, it still becomes an acceptable blocker. In fact, if anything, against bl- uh, blade dancing stuff. Uh, it's one additional thing, uh, Blade Dance, it can block. Um, but at two attack, uh, it's not going to be able to block Fearsome, 
which I think is kind of really sucking right now um, mm-hmm. because of the high attack on things like Spirit Leech, um, you know, within the, and, and you know, in the uh, Cursed Keeper, um, you know, guy, that, the 4-3 that comes out. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, I think Spirit Leech going down to a 2-2 and getting that extra one stat bump, uh, it will help a little bit against Ice Shards and stuff like that, but against Blight Ravine, Avalanche, um, those sorts of guys, it's still uh, just the same and easy to kill. Um, yeah, I mean, you could get, you could go, and, and I, I was really trying hard not to do major reworks um, for this one because I feel like I default to like big reworks. Um, sure. If you wanted to, though, I would love for a card that says that's like Leech. Um, to maybe have something like it be like a format of one one and be like kill an ally uh, and like absorb its I don't know uh, cost into its attack or something like that so that if you're blowing up a four drop with spirit leech then maybe yeah you could get up to a a five attack a five one you mm-hmm. know but if you're just blowing up a crappy little sapling you're still a two one. Yeah, no, I understand that. I understand. Yeah, that, that could well. be interesting. Either way, I, but I think just like blanket statement, uh, four mana two two would be how I would adjust Spirit Leech, and that's actually, if anything, co- kind of comparable with uh, uh, Zap Sprayfin in that regard. Uh huh. Yeah, I agree. You know, I I was I was uh, my third my my third one also targets Thresh Nasus because I completely agree. If we adjust to Xerilia, but we do not adjust Thresh Nasus, it's a pretty big mistake. And I think Thresh Nasus needs a, a, a noticeable change. Now, I was looking and I was like, you know what? You could change Nasus. And actually, that's what I planned on. My my go-to nerf was get rid of Spell Shield on Nasus at level 2 and only give it to him at level 3. Allow us to interact with Nasus and remove him before we can attru- people can atrocity face. Um, however... I have noticed that a lot of the problem with Nasus is sort of the reliability of the draw and the package in the early game. So I thought about, well, well I've talked for a long time about moving, um, uh, what's the what's the two-mana spell that sacks a creature and draws to? Um, You're talking uh, about Spirit Leech? No, no, no. It's a spell. Two mana. Oh, I, Glimpse I can't Beyond. Wait. Sorry. Yeah, gl- Glimpse Beyond. Thought, you know, maybe maybe this is finally the time to make Glimpse Beyond a slow spell, right? To make you actually genuinely have to sacrifice some tempo or some blockers in order to draw your two cards. But in the end, I and this was like literally this minute, I am landing on a go-to card that has been a pretty good staple in Shadow Isles for a long time, and that is Cursed Keeper. Um, I'm going to argue for a one mana increase to Curse Keeper. Make him a three mana one one that when he dies, he becomes a four three. I think you can now too reliably sack Curse Keeper either on the turn that he comes down because you can Curse Keeper into now either Rite of Calling or uh, Ruthless Butcher or whatever, the, the zero mana Ravenous. three two. Ravenous Butcher. So Ravenous Butcher or Rite of Calling. So for him, it was new, just. Uh... Oh wait, no, that's a one drop. The the wave one, that's a one cost. Never mind. Yeah, that that's a one cost. Uh, yes, the wings and the wave, the win, the wings and the wave. Um, so like I there, but there, but you're right. Like the, there's so many now reliable ways to sack Curse Keeper. Before there was really only one, maybe two, if you wanted to draw two cards. But now you have Right of Calling, um, in in the deck. You do have the wings and the wave. In the deck, uh, you have the uh, 
the guy who, who kills something and summons two two ones, um, two saplings. Care, blighted caretaker. Um, the caretaker, exactly. Um, there's so many reliable ways in the spirit leech. There's so many reliable ways to sack it now that I don't really want to touch the stats on it because I like what it does, but I don't want to see it so reliably come down on turn two, get sacked at turn two, and then completely eliminate what most aggro decks are trying to do, which is to push the deck down before, you know, push uh, Thresh Nasus down before you can, you know, get your Nasus out there on board, take control, and then kill your opponent with atrocity or an attack to the face. Um, I just think that Cursed Keeper is probably a, a problematic card at this point because there's it's just there's so much repetition and um, uh, abilities to just sack him. You can, you can just always get rid of him. So that's my my push, and that goes outside of what I said because I said I was going to stick in Empires of the Ascended. I did not end up sticking inside of it. My number three is, is going to be Cursed Keeper. What about your fourth nerf, DBN? Uh, yes, my fourth nerf is a champion. Okay. And it is the champion which I experience may be the most frustration on a consistent basis. Um, and one that just seems and feels un, just really unenjoyable. Uh, for me to go up against. Do you have any guesses? It's Malphite, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, totally it's, Malphite. It's Malphite. You hate Malphite. Malphite. <laughs> Malphite's too strong. I guys. promised Malphite isn't my buff. <laughs> um, no, I don't I don't know. I don't know which one it would be. Tell me. It's going to be Zoe. Really? I have major, major issues with Zoe for like a, a laundry list of reasons that all comes down to, again, you know, uh, Invoke being a little bit bonkers uh, because it's a giant toolbox, uh, which I'm pretty sure that I voiced concern about before the first Targon set released. Um, I really, I think that I have some issues with Invoke um, specifically surrounding the Crescent Strike um, and the ridiculous amount of flexible stall that that presents for any deck that ever cares about having a board. Um, that's really frustrating. It also inherently stops a lot of the counterplay to Zoe, because if you do happen to run a couple pocket elusives um, as a counter, uh, they will just stun them with mm, Crescent Strike. Mm -hmm. You have a, strong. what, one in, you have a 50% chance of getting shown Crescent Strike. Or no, 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 because you have zero cost. You have a, 25% chance of being shown Crescent Strike. Now my math is weird. I, I'm not, there's, I'm not there's, good at there's doing eight, math, man. Yeah, there's eight. You get shown three. 43.8% chance. Perfect. Of getting shown Crescent Strike <laughs> on your first one, right? Um, And you're, you're obviously much more likely to see it at least once in the game. And you just hold on to it, and you hold on to it, and you hold on to it, and you hold on to it. I think that Invoke, I would much prefer if, because it's a freaking constellation, you know, like up in the sky for everyone to see, maybe if you invoked, it should show you what they picked and put it in the hand. That might be better. Uh, regardless, uh, if I'm going to nerf just Zoe, I'm going to address the other thing that's a lot less difficult to change, um, maybe, um, which is I really loathe her level up. I don't, it's not that I don't mm. like that she has a powerful level up. It's not that I don't think that it's uh, earned when she levels. It's that I really despise the fact that it is one of the only things in the game that just completely permanently alters the game state such that now you cannot win. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, because it never goes away. Because it will literally never go away, even if you kill this obnoxious, annoying, difficult to to pin down trickster god. Which cool. I I'm fine with that. But once you finally do kill her, the effect should turn off. So my nerf to Zoe would be instead of grant your nexus, it would say grant me when you summon an ally. Grant its keywords to all allies. Um, and if you really wanted to try to do something to, you know, level that out, you could say, I've seen you play eight cards with different names. I don't care. Um, but just make it so that Zoe, once you kill her, you stop handing elusive lifesteal to literally everything with a dumbass sparkle fly. <laughs> um, Zo Zoe pisses me off so much, and I want to like Zoe. I think she's got fun voice lines, which, which I originally felt were annoying, now have become endearing. I want to like Zoe, but... You know, Lisa and Zoe is so obnoxious. Zoe in uh, Arena or Expedition is straight bonkers. Like, quite literally, I've never had a a uh, non seven win uh, Expedition if I draft Zoe. It's like an auto win if I draft Zoe. Um, I just have I just have major issues with with Zoe and what she does and what she stands for in this game. Um, and if you know what. You know what? That's the other thing. If I wanted to try to compensate for that, I'd give her a better uh, Zoe spell. I would get rid of Sleepy Trouble Bubble and try to find something else, even though I know thematically that's what it is. Sleepy Trouble Bubble is kind of dumb. But yeah, sorry. Ooh, just hit my mic. I uh, really don't like Zoe. Don't like where it is. Um, <laughs> I, I can tell I, that DBN lost to Zoe a couple times this week. He is. Uh, no, no, I haven't. I, I swear. I haven't run into Zoe this week. I just, I've, for, for forever really really hated zoe um and and the level up because i i it really throws me that you have this thing where like you've leveled and then that's it it doesn't it the the you know it being there it's, it it has a permanent effect on the game afterwards like what can you do um i don't like that uh especially for what is a pretty low investment opportunity i mean the fact that like dragons are just like ah oh, man you know what you know what would be great if I had a slightly less consistent Aurelian soul so that I can put in a copy of Zoe. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, just because Zoe's that good. Just, that's a splasher because she could just win us the game. if we. Yeah, at any point, like later in the game. Oh, hey, I drew a Zoe. Well, let's see if they can deal with her. Because if not, in two turns, I win, I win the game. You know, and, and can abandon my other win cons. It's silly. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> okay well my uh my last one my last nerf is a champion as well um but i am going to be going back to empires of the ascended and i'm going to be going back to some of our problem kids in the latest set i'm not touching aurelia because i like aurelia i am attacking azir um and i am proposing a slight rework to azir azir currently reads three mana one five um, when allies attack, summon an attacking sand soldier. When you've summoned 10 plus units, he levels up. When he levels up, he's a three mana two six. Um, and when allies attack, summon a sand soldier. And when you summon an ally, give us both plus one plus zero this round. I would change only his leveled up version. I am fine with his pre leveled up. I'm actually fine with the speed in which he levels up. And I am fine with, uh, with what he does. What I am not fine with 
is the fact that once he's leveled up, he buffs all of the knives that you play with plus one attack from that point on. So I believe what he should read in level up, he should be a three mana two six, have the same, you've restored the sun disc, that's fine with me. Then should read when allies, when I attack, not when allies attack, when I attack, summon two attacking sand soldiers, one on either side of him. I think he should come in attacking with two attacking sand soldiers, and then it should read, when you summon a sand soldier, give us both plus one, plus zero this round. So he is basically, when mm -hmm. he attacks, he would be a three-mana four-six with two two-one sand soldiers coming in. Very strong, pretty oppressive, not easy to deal with, especially at three mana. However, he doesn't get to be exploited to sit on the back line forever and buff all of your blades that you're throwing out with blade dance all of the time. And you can still exploit him by continuing to use other things like Emperor's Deus, who would be able to attack. You give you another sand soldier, right? So he would get plus three attack. Um, and if you have, uh, there's a chick, there's like a four mana or three mana chick that when she attacks, you summon a sand soldier. You still would have your ability to summon sand soldiers with your Dune Keeper. I'd love to see him go a little bit more in on the sand soldier stuff and less about purely summoning and then buffing the stuff that you summon. I think that this would leave Aurelia Azir a good combination to play together because you still want to summon sand soldiers. That's still good. You still are making extra attacks. You're still summoning stuff with blade dance. So it's still leveling up Azir. All of those things are happening, but it doesn't mean that once Azir gets down and leveled up that you basically lose the game because he's going to get huge. All of those blade dances are going to get big from that point on. I would love to see him a little bit more in on the sand soldier stuff. So that's my that's my proposed adjustment. Make him in the leveled up form, summon two sand soldiers when he attacks, not when anybody attacks. And whenever you summon a sand soldier specifically, they and him get plus one plus zero for that round. So that's my suggestion. I'm kind of curious, Deviate, what you think about that, because it's a little bit more of a rework than I was planning on doing. Yeah, I think uh, I can see the argument against uh, or for nerfing Azir. My issue is I don't like uh, touching any of his abilities mm. uh, because there is a lot of enjoyable decks that can utilize Azir um, that uh, outside of Azir Aurelia. Um, and again, I really don't think targeting. Uh, this is just my opinion. Uh, I really don't think targeting Azir is uh, from a. Um, I don't think targeting Azir from the Azir Aurelia standpoint is the way to go because I think that that'll just get replaced by the MF version, which is also very, very potent. And the mm -hmm. only reason why it's not seeing as much play, even though I would argue that it can be stronger, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I really do feel like it's just that good, um, but that maybe the Azir Aurelia is just has more lip service right now. Um, that may it's come also, from my lack of experience playing against MF with Aurelia. I haven't really well, played against it much. Well, no, I mean, the stats support that Azir Aurelia is better, quote-unquote, but I think uh -huh. that rather it, it supports that Azir Aurelia is easier to play. Yes. I think MF is a little bit harder to play, a little bit more combo-driven, uh, if anything. Um, and I think that... Uh, I think that it... But I think that also the payoff is a much higher um, because if you level MF and they can't deal with it, well, it's GG. So um, I don't really like targeting... Uh, you know, Sharima for the sins of Ionia because it'll just get farmed over to Bilgewater. However, 
I think that there's a, definitely an argument to be made that Azir is really, really strong in multiple decks. I mean, the fact that, like, I think in a, in a different meta report that I read this week, uh, Azir and um, uh, Noxus uh, Burn mm-hmm. is That's one of the top deck. top played uh, decks uh, across all formats. Uh, it's very strong. I, I've played it a bit myself. Um, it's uh, it's it's pretty good. So I think in that perspective, you could say, well, maybe Azir is is too strong. But in that perspective, I don't think it's necessarily his ability for most decks that's that that's that oppressive. I I would argue that it is actually uh, his stats. So I think that if somebody was going to want to nerf Azir from the standpoint of dealing with Azir across all decks, I would just lower his defense one point to a one four because at one mm. five it's there's almost no three drops uh, that can uh, handle the five to uh, five defense. Um, it's it's pretty much only the reputation buffers. Um, so that means that if you can spend the mana to pull him for like a vulnerable or challenge, you still likely can't have enough damage to kill him, uh, in the same turn. Like, uh, so I, I, I just think that removing, you know, bumping his defense down one makes him a little bit more acceptable or accessible, excuse me, to kill through creature combat without having to expend like two or three cards and a lot of tempo, um, mm. you know, to deal with because he is just going to sit on the back line. They're never going to swing with him uh, unless that they're pushing for lethal uh, or unless they know you have no way to actually deal with it. So I think reducing his health would make killing him through spells or challenger uh, a lot uh, easier, even if it still would be a very, very strong card and, and worth playing at one four. That's the reason why it doesn't bother me at one four. It's still really worth playing. Uh, it's yeah. just, how oh, you yeah. got some more counterplay. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, now's the fun point. Well, what was the card that you'd like to see buffed? Yes. You know how I told you it wasn't Malphite? It is Malphite, actually. No, it's it's not Malphite. I didn't lie, but it's definitely Malphite related. Oh, okay. Um, okay. It's Chip. Uh, it's not Chip. Chip needs no buff. <laughs> chip Chip should be nerfed. That's how amazing Chip is. Okay. <laughs> um, no. So here's the thing. I was I've I've played. I actually built like three or four Malphite decks uh, earlier in the week, just trying to think through like what it is that that he needs, what it is that like mean that makes him suck so much yeah uh i toyed around with like three different lists and the best one i could come up with seriously the best one i could come up with was uh with talia surprise surprise but it was like almost a it wasn't aggro but it was really low curve like really really low curve um such that i was running actually the hibernating rock bears and the salt spires alongside the clockwork curator uh, time in a bottle, right? Mm. Kind of like you would with like Turbo Thrall, right? Um, so not running the uh, the Eye of the Raharak or Raharim or whatever, um, Raharak, not running that, uh, which is obviously the lowest card count related uh, way to level Malphite. Yeah, Does sure. Malphite need some love? Yes, but... Pretending like Malphite does need some love so I can I can work on something more interesting. Uh, I was looking at, okay, Malphite is a Targon landmark uh, champion, as in wants to uh, use landmarks, but is stuck in Targon, not in Shreema, where there's already so many playable landmarks, Preservarium, uh, Ancient Preparations, etc. So what's, and, and Rockhopper, I'm sorry, Rockhopper's just, just MVP. So 
what does that mean for Malphi? That means that the landmarks just in Targon, if you wanted to pop over and let's say go and run with um, Yasuo for stuns, right? Um, you're relying on one of two things. You're either relying on the absolutely trash and completely garbage uh, Targon countdown landmarks. Um, so bad. Or you're forced to play Eye of the Raharak, which stuns, which in the case of Yasuo is pretty nice, but in the case of anything else you might consider playing or pairing Malphite with uh, is go borderlines on pointless to uh, overpriced, depending mm. on you know how you view it. So, okay, um, what else do we have, right? Because you've got these Earth Elementals and you've got these Stonebreakers. The issue is those two things are based around the idea of playing four-plus landmarks, which Eye of the Raharak doesn't work as well with because it's so expensive. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're just playing all these, you know, if you want to play Earth Elemental and Stonebreaker, those are two lower tempo plays i mean if un unless you have them they're they're uh unless you satisfy uh the condition Four landmarks yeah so that would require you or you know ideally to play cheap targon landmarks okay so we look at the cheap targon landmarks you got star spring basically useless for this you mm -hmm. got star tipped peak interesting but you have so many better ways to get celestial cards in hand uh talking about the fangs here, right? Um, and then what do you have? Rock Fall Path. Spoiler alert, this is my card. Rock Fall Path is so useless. It seems interesting when you read it. Two mana landmark, countdown two, obliterate. Ooh, wow, obliterate? That's fancy. The weakest <laughs> enemy. Problem? It's so telegraphed by the time you actually can do something with it, uh, your opponent will have some spud down that they don't care if it dies. If anything, you're helping them by clearing board space, right? This more often than not does literally nothing. Um, exception, pairing it with a Shereman card that can reduce the countdown, mm -hmm. which means you shouldn't play it because you then have better cheap landmarks to play. Preservarium, Rockhopper, Ancient Prep, etc. Absolutely, yeah. Right? So the only thing that can make this worth playing, you know, and comboing with it to, like, get a coolly timed, you know, um, Rockfall Path. Oh, just kidding. Countdown doesn't exist this turn. I'm going to countdown it to you and instantly get that thing. You thought you were going to have to wait. Ha ha. That is made pointless by the fact that for what the purpose is, you have better things to play. So, okay, Rockfall Path. In a Targon-centric deck that's not running Sharima, how can we make this better? I think, I and I really think I can step out here on a limb and say that Rockfall Path could go to obliterate the two weakest enemies, maybe even the three weakest enemies. But that Ooh. might be crazy for Sharima. So I'm saying Rockfall Path, let's try it. A two-mana landmark, countdown two, obliterate the two weakest enemies sure heck sure, I, 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 I like mean, at one mana you know it may not be good enough but at least it gives targon uh you know a, a different way to have some removal um i was also thinking about this i was thinking about um this is more of a rework so again my my, my answer is just adding obliterate the two weakest enemies um 
but I would really love to see another thing like um like Eye of the Raharak. I really like the idea of it like spawning another thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it could couldn't it be really interesting to have Rockfall Path alternatively be a three mana Rockfall Path? Or, or actually no, you know, let's leave it two mana. Two mana, Rockfall Path. Countdown two, obliterate the weakest enemy, then summon another Rockfall Path. I so love once that. you've played one. The landslide keeps going, you know, um, and every two turns, the weakest thing dies, and then the weakest thing dies, and it just keeps summoning more. Oh, it just keeps going. Yeah. Okay. I think that could be really interesting, too. But but for the ease of simplicity, obliterate the two weakest enemies is my answer. But there's a lot you could do with it is kind of what the point I'm trying to make, because right now it's just it's it's something that seems flavorful. The idea of, oh, the rocks are collapsing. Better get out from under him. That's a fun like I can. The story tells itself based on the card text. It's just not good. So how do we make it good? How do we make it more flavorful? Uh, There's a lot of options. But the bottom line is until you make this usable, there's just really no way for Malphite and his support package of Earth Elementals uh, to really go anywhere outside of Shrema. And and even that is not enough for now, but at least it would be they'd be able to play their own cards. Um, and that's why I think like the, the replicating Rockfall Path would be interesting because it would help you towards that summon four or the summon 10 or 12 mana worth. I think that mm-hmm. something like that would, would really be beneficial. And I, I don't think it would be too strong to have it replicate itself and every two turns the opponent has to watch out for more rocks falling. Yeah. Uh, I, I think like a perpetual piece of removal for two mana that never goes away is problematic. Um, especially uh, if you have just two the of the weakest them enemy. Yeah, I mean, sure. Sure. I mean, if at have, a certain point it becomes... It would be if you had enough, like you could just every round you remove the weakest enemy forever, for sure. Two mana is that really that big of a deal? It's actually well, it'd be four mana. Uh, four mana, yeah, I, I think it is. I think, I think uh, it's a big deal. I really doubt it. I really doubt it. I think it's I, a big deal. I I, I like yeah. the I I love the idea of it summoning a new one, um, but I think I like the idea of it destroying two things more. I mean, I, 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 I but I I agree. I mean, yeah. I've been I've been I've said from the very beginning, Rockfall Path is a terrible card, and it needs it could it could be so much better. It could be so much cooler. It could be destroy a creature of your choice. It could be destroy a random creature. It could be destroy the strongest creature. It mm-hmm. could be. There's so many things that you could do with it that we didn't talk about here. But yeah. you know, imagine imagine though if it replicated itself, right? Forever. Yeah, forever. Um. I mean, you maybe you could maybe be three costs if it did that, you know. But okay. I mean, think about, but th- but think about the amount of things in this game that like, like really compare it to the strongest decks in the game. Compare it to Thresh Nasus, which can just throw down an almost infinite amount of spuds for the entire game. You know, think about decks like um, that 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 deck wouldn't care at all. I mean, even things yeah, like I guess it's um, still slow, right? It, it's it's slow. slow and telegraphed. Yeah, it's still slow. Yeah. Um, it's grindy. So, it's still slow, right? But I think that like a grindy like win con like that is still interesting enough that like, I mean, having a win con that is that consistent slow war of attrition is viable, you know. And and if you because that's the other thing, if you're if you get three rockfall paths down, which is highly unlikely, but if you did, 
those turns, you would have been putting no pressure of your own. Mm -hmm. And that's three board slots you can never have. Again, the downside of landmarks. Sure. I I don't want to get deeper because we're we're getting into a place where... uh... We're getting to very heavy uh, yes, we're, conjecture. Yes, we're, we're, get, we're getting beyond where I can go. But but I, I love the idea of reworking Rockfall Path. There's no doubt. Let me go yeah. through my buff. My final card buff, I'm going to go to a champion. Um, and this is just a champion that I like and I wish was good. I've tried to play him several times, her several times. Haven't had much success. Um, my choice for my buff is Kindred. Um, Kindred, I think, is really cool mechanically. I really like the way Kindred works with Slay. Unfortunately, in the end of the day, Kindred Thresh was supposed to, or Kindred Nasus was supposed to be sort of together. Just turns out that it's just better if Thresh just summons your Nasus because Nasus is so much better than Kindred is. I've played a couple Kindred decks too easy to remove. Um, so my suggestion is to take Kindred from a 5-mana 4-4 to a four mana three four drop their attack by one leave their life the same drop kindred to a four cost so you can get them out of turn earlier there's so many responses once you get to turn five that your opponent can have whether it's giving it vulnerable whether it's removing it with any number of pieces of removal um whether it's just straight up using vengeance on him that's a removal thing i was thinking about damage removal um so many creatures that you just can't trade into by the time you get to five i think at four mana kindred kind of finds a sweet spot where it's coming down sort of like right after where the vast majority of champions are coming out in the game so often on five it's too late for you to gain control of the board and keep it with something like kindred but i think on turn four it might be a lot more viable for you to grab control of the board and keep control of the board. Really have wanted to be playing a Kindred deck that doesn't run any other champions um, and haven't had that opportunity yet. So my pick for buff is Kindred. It's a simple one, but I really like Kindred and I've really wanted to play Kindred and haven't been able to very much because it's not super good. Kind of fallen out of popularity. So Kindred's yeah. my choice. No, that that's a good one. You know what Kindred would really love? What would Kindred love? Looping Rockfall Paths. Oh, Kindred Love, Rockfall Path. That's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true, it's true. Well, no, Kindred (laughs) Kindred wouldn't, because Rockfall Path obliterates, doesn't slay things. Oh, that's true. That's true, that's true. Maybe Rockfall Path should just kill them. Uh, keep yeah, just kill them and uh, and keep coming back over and over again. Maybe that's, right. that's yeah. Maybe we're making a match in heaven here. Maybe I think I think that that would be a lovely match. I think what what would Kindred love more than squished? people and ter- people enemies turn to jelly under know? rocks yeah under perfect. rocks right under rocks well uh listen we've been at this thing an hour and a half so we're gonna go ahead and get ready and close out the episode but before we do so let's jump over to closing thoughts and i thought i was already perfect Okay, guys, closing thoughts is uh, our attempt to say if you're going to listen to the show for an hour and a half, we hope that you'll get something out of it more than just being better at LOR or knowing that we're not good at it, or at least not at, at least Mark isn't good at predicting. I shouldn't loop DBN in on such things. Yeah, uh, but we hope that you'll actually be better at doing life. And so uh, my closing thought for today is about the importance of boundaries in life uh, was just I, I've dealt with a lot of. I've counseled a lot of people. I've sat down with a lot of people who are sort of in tough situations throughout my you know, last decade of work. You do a lot of that in my line of work. And, uh, and one of the things that I come across over and over and over again is, is people go through a lot of pain and suffering 
because they refuse to have boundaries with other people and they call that loving them by refusing to have boundaries with them. And what it ends up doing is allowing things that are not healthy to continue to persist and allow people to sort of consistently misuse you, mistreat you, abuse you potentially because you refuse to keep healthy boundaries. My basic claim is in life, the healthiest and most loving thing that you can do with people many times is to keep healthy boundaries with them. And if you are like married, a lot of times this comes in with either your parents or your in-laws is usually the time that many of us start experiencing that. But it can even come in at a younger age if you have friends uh, that just seem to overstep the boundaries of your friendship consistently and uh, and take advantage of you. Or if you have a relationship with somebody who, you know, they want to turn all of the blame always on you and, and hold none of the blame for themselves. Um, oftentimes, it's a matter of holding boundaries. The most powerful thing that you can do inside your relationships is keep boundaries. And it's oftentimes the most loving thing that you can do for somebody as well. When I'm raising my kids, one of the most loving things I can do for my daughters is to keep boundaries. I don't want them in the front yard because people drive like maniacs up and down my street. It would be unloving for me to not keep boundaries with them and allow them to run onto the road and get hit by a car. So we keep firm boundaries with our girls when it comes to the front yard. In a lot of areas of life, we see boundaries as a good thing. But sometimes we struggle to keep them up whenever it's going to cause conflict in our lives. And my basic claim is keep firm boundaries in your life with people that you love um, so that you can continue to maintain the relationship and continue to love them. Um, that's my closing thought for today. Uh, you know, DBN usually listens to it and says, but you got to be careful if you take it too far. And, and that's probably the case with this closing thought as well, to be honest. Um, but I've, I found it to be helpful in my life anyway. No, I, I find it's it's actually better to um, only have boundaries, right? And just completely wall yourself off from everything. So don't really- let anybody in. That's right. Don't <laughs> let anyone in ever. Okay, so just, there's your- <laughs> no, I'm Don't just come that... talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> On that note, Mark, you've gotten too close. I'm hanging up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you have it. well thanks dbn for adding to our closing thought for today guys that's going to do it for this episode we really do appreciate you listening be sure to check out our patreon there's a link in the description of this episode and be sure to leave us a rating and review on itunes we appreciate you guys thank you so much for listening in and if you want to check out what either i or dbn are up to join the discord or check out some notes in the description of this episode thank you so much for joining us We appreciate you, and be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.